Hey, Gabby. Yeah. We should start a podcast. Yes. Let's start a, a podcast. podcast. Hey, guys. Before we get started, I just want to let you know you might hear a lot of noises like this. And that is because Gabby decided to hold her microphone for this episode. So I apologize beforehand, but please do enjoy the show. Welcome back to the pod. Hello, everybody. How are you doing on this fine evening? Or I morning? have a story to tell. You mentioned. So as you guys may have listened, our last episode, I did a story about Takaya. Very the wolf. good. If you haven't listened to it, stop. <laughs> Pause. Um, <laughs> you lost me. <laughs> stop what you're doing and go listen to that right now. Anyways, so I go over to my parents' house the other day yeah. to go hang out with my mom. Aww. Love you, mom. <laughs> I appreciate you. So I walk into the living room, and on the coffee table is a book written by Cheryl Alexander. Oh, my God. And it is her book on Takaya. Oh, she's doing more research. Except I asked my mom, I was like, hey, have you listened to my episode? Like, is this what this is about? And she went, no, like, what's your episode about? I didn't know it was a release. <gasps> oh, my God. So it was just a quinky dink. It was the most coincidental quinky dink. So I don't know what the universe is trying to tell me right now, but I am listening. <laughs> Something important. I'm sure of it. Hopefully. That's so cool. Oh, my gosh. I hope that you're I hope that she enjoys the episode. Honestly, she'll let me know if she does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Update us, please. I'm just going to dive right into it. The story that I picked, I'm going to give a bit of a trigger warning for. There's some rough details in this story. Trigger warning for, like, violence, swearing. That's just me, though. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's... I will not. My biggest swear is, damn it. <laughs> I have never heard Sophie utter a single swear word ever. Bullocks. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm just going to get into it. So this is the story of Rena Verk. Does that ring any bells? No. This is a case that took place on the island, the beautiful island of Vancouver Island. And Rena Verk was born in Saanich, BC on March 10th, 1983. Her father immigrated from India after his sister visited Victoria and saw what a beautiful place it was and was like, this is unreal. You've got to come check this out. He visits Victoria, falls in love with the place, and he also falls in love with a woman who is an Indo-Canadian her parents or grandparents had immigrated from India to Canada and the two of them fell in love, had three kids, the oldest being Rena. Something that is important to mention about her family is that they are practicing Jehovah Witnesses. So because of that, Rena grew up with some strict rules, but by all accounts, her parents really seemed to love her and seemed to be decent people who wanted the best for her. A little background on Rena before we get into this. She went to Shoreline High, which we both know. Yes. Do you, like, know anybody who, go who went to Shoreline? No. Because I don't think I do either. Nah. Her family, sh she had a rough relationship with her family. She ran away once or twice. She fell into a bit of a bad crew. And in 1966, she actually accused her father of physical, mental, and sexual abuse which caused her to get taken out of the home and put into a group home. Later, she did retract that statement, basically saying that she said it so that she could move out and live in these group homes where her friends lived. Okay. She wanted to live their kind of life. She wanted to fit in, you know, like any other teenage girl. She was bullied a lot. She was bullied for her looks and her background, her religious beliefs. She was bullied from her weight to the amount of body hair she had, like just things she couldn't control. 
she started to rebel against her parents. She'd sneak out. She would smoke weed and cigarettes. She'd party with her quote unquote friends. I just want to say about this case, race is a really big thing that the media downplayed a lot, but I do think that it is an important factor to remember. And I'm going to tell you some other names that you should remember throughout this podcast. Kelly Eller, she is 15 years old and her best friend is Josephine. Now, Josephine is not her real name because of the age she was when this happened. A bunch of the names are under protection. I will tell you when a name's like not real and when it is real. So Kelly Ellard is her real name. Josephine is not. Fake name. We all good? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm following. <laughs> so Josephine and Kelly are best friends. They're really into like the LA gangster scene. They have a documented history of violence, especially Kelly. At one point she says that like she likes punching people. There was an incident where she and some other students tried to set a girl's hair on fire. Just not great stuff, but there is a history of violence. So Rena met Josephine in one of the group homes that she lived in. She doesn't know Kelly very well. At least maybe they met in passing, but she she knows Josephine. Josephine alleged that Rena had stolen her address book. <laughs> okay. Have you ever had an address book, Sophie? Like my grandparents probably did. <laughs> I think it's just a little bit before our generation, you know? We got phones now. Yeah. Do you know a singular phone number? I know one and it's my mother's. I know my phone number. I know my phone number. It took 250. Me <laughs> just starts, um, actually, I'm just going to dox myself on air. <laughs> um, Josephine alleges that Rena had taken her address book and <gasps> had been calling the boys in it, spreading rumors, saying stuff like she's got fake eyebrows and that she's AIDS and just like spreading some nasty rumors, apparently. What entails a fake eyebrow? I guess, I mean, it's like 80s, 90s, so like she's drawing them on, I guess is the accusation. Isn't that like makeup? Yeah. Okay. I think it's what, and she's like trying to be like, oh, like she isn't as beautiful as you really think, you know? I think that's kind of what was behind it. And there's another girl who says that she was like trying to steal or like stole her boyfriend. It kind of just seems like a bunch of excuses. Yeah. To. Kind of sus. Very, very sus. November 7th, 1997, Rena is at home with her parents and the phone rings. She picks it up and it's Josephine who's inviting her to a party. Rena's immediately like, no, like you're going around saying you want to beat my ass. I do not want to come to this. You're going to beat my ass. Yeah. Josephine is trying to lull her into the sense of security saying, don't worry. Like, I'm not mad anymore. Just come and party. We'll be friends. There's no biggie. Rena's still like, nope, don't trust you. So Josephine actually hands the phone to Kelly and Kelly ends up persuading Rena to come to this party. There's about 50 to 60 teens. And what they don't know is that Josephine is in fact planning on assaulting Rena. Ooh. Yeah. So at one point, cops show up and break up this party because it's a bunch of underage teens drinking and smoking weed. I mean, don't drink underage guys. Oh my just god. Just be 19. Be 19. Don't be lame. You clowns. Come on. So cops show up, they break up the party and it moves underneath the Craigflower Bridge. And there's not like if you've seen the underneath of the Craigflower Bridge, there's not a lot of space down there. It's not really somewhere where I would want to party at least. No. What? Gorge water? No, thank you. And this is when the initial assault takes place. Seven girls and one boy start attacking Rena, and it starts when Josephine puts a lit cigarette out on Rena's forehead, 
And I've heard some reports say that it is where the Bindi is supposed to be. So here's where some of that racism starts playing in. After that, Rena tries to defend herself. She takes a swing. And that is when, apparently, Kelly steps in to protect her friend and punches Rena. After this, the other group of people there just fully start to attack. There is like 15 to 20 people underneath this bridge. Some of them run off once this assault starts, yeah. but some of them stay and they just watch. It's the bystander effect. You know, the bystander effect is insanely real. I guess it's like, they think if they step in, they'll get attacked. Or like, oh, someone else will step in. Or someone else will step in and stop this. Or like, oh, I don't want to be like the lame person who then gets ostracized <laughs> for breaking up an yeah. assault. It's ridiculous. But that's that's what ends up happening. Finally, a girl who was actually involved in the assault, her fake name, but her name is Layla. That's what we're going to call her. Mm -hmm. She's a kickboxer. And she's like, okay, everyone, like, that's enough. Fuck off. And I guess everyone's kind of scared of her. Everyone just leaves. And Rena's left lying in the mud. Rena stands up and she starts walking across the bridge towards where her bus stop would be in order for her to get home. It is at this point that Kelly Ellard and Warren Glowowski, that is the one male who was involved in the attack, they follow her, apparently at Kelly's insistence. At the other end of the bridge, this is where a second assault takes place. They started kicking and stomping her. Kelly then smashes her head into a tree more than once, apparently. Oh my God. They then dragged her body over to the gorge where Kelly stood on her head in a pool of water as Warren watched. And people say that Kelly bragged about taking a cigarette out of her pocket and smoking the entire thing while standing on Rena's head. She's just, she's not a nice person. She's really not. She's really not. And the thing is, is that she grew up in like a middle-class family in View Royal. From all accounts, they're a very nice, you know, better off family. Uh, her father isn't in the picture, but apparently she has this very lovely stepfather. But Kelly, it seems, is very prone to violence, very angry. And when Rena never makes it home, her mom files a missing persons report with the police. But they just label her as a runaway because she'd run away once before and, you know, that's that. She's run away. What can we do? Which is stupid. I think that's stupid. Yeah. Even if it's like a 14 year old runs away and you're just going to go, well, good luck in the world, kiddo. Yeah. Cause if your grandfather runs away. Yeah. Uh Oh, old man in the world. What is that? An Amber alert? No, I think Amber alerts just for like kids. Young kids. Shouldn't be out in the world by themselves. Nah. They're kids. Yeah. I, at 14 I mean, years if, old. If you are out in the world by yourself, you're killing it. Like, yeah, you, pop off. So for a week after this murder happens, rumors are all over the school. Kelly is bragging about it. Josephine is talking about it. They have gotten other people involved in like the kind of rough cover up they're trying to do. Both students and teachers have heard all the rumors. They know the names, but nobody says anything even though they know that rena is in fact missing everyone's talking about it but they're all kind of told to keep it on the down low which is insane that is bonkers. that is insane to me finally in the group home where josephine lives there is a russian girl who moves in don't know her name you know she was under 18 of course no pseudonym is ever really given to her from what i can see she's just, just she is russian she's girl. russian she's a russian girl and she has a sister that's kind of what we know russian girl russian sister exactly okay so Josephine starts bragging about beating her and then how Kelly, her best friend, had then taken her and murdered her. She tells this to her sister and the both of the two of them go to the cops together. And the cops are like, okay, cool, kids. And kind of just like sends them off. But they decide that they, these, these two are badasses. They're like, no, 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 no. 
So they... These two being not Kelly and Josephine. Not Kelly and Josephine. <laughs> These two being the Russians, the yeah. Russian sisters. So they kind of play act to Josephine that they're really interested in this. They end up getting her to take them on a tour where the assault took place and where... Kelly told her that like the murder actually happened and they're like following around and they're like, oh, whoa, like can't believe that. They then immediately go to the cops and are like, go look in the gorge. That's where they dumped her body. You got to arrest these girls. This is an insane thing that happened. Yeah. Here's the means, the motive, the location. Yeah. The the murder weapon. The criminals. Like Like, just everything is served up on a silver platter to them by these two Russian sisters. And do they listen? And they listen. During one of the regular Friday night parties, which they're still going to a week after they murdered somebody, the cops show up and they just arrest everybody there. They get seven of the people involved in the assault, but Josephine is not there. So it is November 2nd, 1997. The police interrogate Kelly for three hours. And at first she is completely denying, like knowing Rena, knowing about the assault, anything like that. The first thing Kelly says to cops is, where are my friends? Like, can I see my friends? Where are my friends? The cops kind of explain that they're trying to figure out what happened, asking her about Rena. And Kelly actually says that she thought her name was Trina. She just has the most insane audacity of anybody ever. Truly, truly. When Josephine is finally arrested, not too long later, one of the first things she does is asks for a famous mobster's lawyer. So at this point, police are looking for her body. A helicopter and dive team look, and the first day that they're looking, they find her. Uh, this is 10 days after she went missing, though. That's when they finally go and look for her. They do find her. It's a ground team. Her body is hidden by the reeds, and they fish her out. When an autopsy is performed, the coroner finds extensive damage to her body, saying that it looks like a car crash victim. There is enough injuries to the point where it looks like some of them she could have sustained in a a car crash crash. by a car. Yeah, pretty much. And I'm just going to say, I'm not going to go crazy into detail on this just because it is incredibly dark, incredibly sad. And I just, it's a very rough subject. Oh yeah. So they say that it looks like a car crash victim. They actually find 18 pebbles in her lungs, which means that when she was drowned, she was still alive. The only way for those pebbles to end up where they were would be with her still breathing as her head is being pushed in the water, held down by a foot. And I read some articles that said she had a sneaker print on the back of her brain. I don't think it works like that. I'm guessing they meant head. Yeah. I don't... Head, like, maybe skull, but shoe tread does not... No, not on brain. Pretty insane. But that's still so incredibly brutal and heartbreaking the cops are asking everybody questions students faculty and people are people are talking they're like well this is what i heard because what what do they have to keep their mouth shut about if they weren't involved yeah now that's out now that it's out and the cops are there asking questions they'll get in more trouble for lying you know yeah and when kelly is interrogated and kind of asked about this she says direct quote this is high school it's all just rumors 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 Huh? Sorry? Yeah, yeah. Josephine, in her interrogation, her mom's like there, you know, and at one point she says to her, do I look like a rat? Because she is keeping her trap shut. She is saying that she had nothing to do with this. She had no involvement. Eventually Kelly cracks and she tells the police that Josephine was the one who did it. 
and that she didn't have anything to do with it. At one point, she blames two other girls in Warren, but she like keeps herself out of it. And they play these tapes for Josephine and Josephine keeps her mouth shut. Oh my God. She's she's quoted as saying, "Do does it look like I have a tail? Like, oh so we have like two polar opposites here. Yeah. Kelly, who's going around being like, guess what I did, blah, blah, blah. And then Josephine, who's like, nothing. Zilch. Yeah. Blip. Let's see which one works out in the end. <laughs> yeah, let's see how this goes. So out of the group who attacked Rena, only Warren and Kelly aren't protected by that publication ban. Because when you're a minor under 18 and you're involved in a crime, they'll keep your name a secret unless you're being charged as an adult. So the other girls who attacked her are dubbed by the media as the Shoreline Six and only known with initials. So there's NC, NP, MGP, CAK, GO, and NC. On February 9th, 1991, the Shoreline Six trial begins. Three plead guilty, including Josephine and Layla, the girl who stepped in and told, or not stepped in, but the girl who finally was like, enough is enough. The other three plead not guilty. Everyone's found guilty. But the sentences range from 60 days conditional to a year in jail. Josephine does get a year in jail. But all these girls are between 14 and 16. So a year in juvie? A year in juvie, yeah. Since then, I will say, I believe at least one of the girls has since come out, was on TV, told her name, told her story. So like, it is out there. I personally just don't want to share it. You know? Yeah. It is an awful tragedy that occurred. These girls were 14 years old. I sure hope that they have made many different life choices and have tried to make up for the damage that they've done. But at the end of the day, I just, I'm not going to say the name, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But as I mentioned, Warren and Kelly are charged as adults. I'm just going to say a couple things about Warren. He is 16 years old at the time. Did not know Rena at all. He was just there at the party. Not like... Was it because his girlfriend was from Shoreline? His girlfriend, yes. His she was the one. year old girlfriend? He's 16? That's um, legal, right? Yeah, it's fine. I don't know how old the girlfriend is. Because she isn't one of the Shoreline Six. Oh, okay. No, yeah. She's not one of the Shoreline Six. She is just, her and Warren were at the party. She felt sick, wanted to go home. He's like, do you need me to come with you? She's like, no, don't worry about it. So she gets on a bus and goes home before the cops come shut down the party, before even the initial assault happens. Yeah. He says he had no idea why the girls were beating on her and just joined. At one point, she's on the ground and he's like kicking her head. And one of his friends who's in the crowd is like, Warren, like, stop. What are you doing? And he just keeps going. He's just in it now. The thrill or for just like aggression release or. Yeah. Like. He says later, he's like, I, I don't know why I did it. You know, like everyone's drunk. Everyone's been smoking weed. But it's oh, like, okay. yeah, because, you know, it was like They're a party. They're not in the right mind. They're all intoxicated. Yeah. Warren, his mother is pretty absent. She's an alcoholic. Wasn't really involved in his life. His father, a couple of months prior, had actually moved to California to live with the woman he'd met in Vegas. Uh, but he sends money back to his son, who is couch jumping. I heard some people, like some sources say that he had his own trailer. But he is getting like regular pay or not paychecks, but regular checks from his father. Yeah. His girlfriend's parents are looking out for him. He has a buddy whose like parents look out for him. When he's arrested, the cops interrogate him for hours with no parents and no lawyers present, even though he did ask for at least a lawyer. But so it's because he's older and he's a boy. That's actually that's exactly what the cops kind of say. They're like, hey, you're the only guy in this group. You're the oldest. You are the one who's like going to get punished the most. You're going to get the toughest sentence. And that is exactly what happens. I don't know. I'll I'll tell you about it. 
his girlfriend testifies at the trial that the next day he'd come over and given her his jeans and they had blood on them. And he asked her if he could get it out. And she's like asking him questions about this. And it, and he basically gets on his knees and confesses that he's like this happened and that he then stood by and watched as Kelly murdered her. I think it's kind of crazy she didn't go to the cops after that. Yeah. But, you know. But also, like, teenagers. Yeah, and it's, like, your boyfriend. And, like, when you're you're, young, it's, like, this is your person. Yeah, like, that's your person, right? But she testifies at the trial, you know, tells the truth. His friend who told him to stop, stop the attack also testifies about what happened. The trial is a trial by judge, so there's no jury. And he is sentenced to life with no parole for seven years, which is the maximum sentence somebody under the age of 18 can receive. So that means oh. that until seven years are up, he cannot like apply for parole, basically. So he has to say at least max seven seven years. Yeah. And then after that. After that, he can start applying for parole and then it's up to the parole board to decide yeah. whether or not he will be. Okay. And he's sent to the prison Matsky, which I don't know if I'm saying right. My sincerest apologies. So at this prison, Warren gets into restorative justice reconciliation. And it, this is kind of, which I'll explain in a minute. Okay. But what influenced him to this is after finding out about his indigenous heritage, he meets with elders and they kind of counsel him and he learns a lot about himself. He says he kind of sees the, well, he sees the errors in his ways yeah. and feels so incredibly awful. Like, I can't even imagine how you would feel kind of being like, this is what I've done. Now I have to live with like it. Like, now that you've like matured and you have had time to just sit in jail and probably that's most of what you're thinking about right yeah it's like crazy what things you do as a child affect you (laughs) throughout your whole life yeah so like i said he gets into restorative justice reconciliation and it's between criminals and victims and it's trying to find like a place of forgiveness basically and it is here that he contacts rena Burke's parents and tries to apologize basically he feels so awful for what he's done he knows that he can never make up for it but he just wants to try to reform himself and apologize and probably be forgiven. Yeah. Which Rena's parents end up doing. And they actually speak at his parole hearing that leads to him going on parole. And some sources say that after this all happened, Rena Burke's parents traveled Canada, spreading the word about bullying. They spoke at schools. They were very involved in actually the pink shirt day and the whole idea behind that. And I've heard some people say that Warren would like travel with them, tell his story, but he was definitely involved in that whole process as well. Yeah, because I would give a good point of view from the bully. Yeah, exactly. Like a bully to other bullies being like, this... This is what happens when you're a bully. Yeah. And it goes too far. It goes too far and then you have to live with it. Yeah, for the rest of your life. Like, like I just can't imagine. I Cannot imagine. But he's released on parole in 2010. This brings us to Kelly's court case, which is a lot more of a shit show. Initially, Kelly is blaming Josephine, saying that she's the scapegoat, she had nothing to do with this, or like she threw a punch to defend her friend. But throughout the court proceedings, she's changes her story, always denies killing her. She blames Josephine, like I said, as well as like two other girls in Warren. Basically, she just pulls herself completely out of the proceeding. For all of the trials, Throughout the trial, Kelly's family shows up every day and they sit in the front row. She has like a different lawyer every single time for every trial. But the first one, the first lawyer, is the man who represented Robert Picton. Don't know who that is. He's a serial killer from Vancouver who fed his victims two pigs. Real piece of shit. Real piece of shit. But even though Kelly just keeps denying and denying, the proof is irrefutable. You know, you have people who have been, who like say, 
Oh yeah, Kelly bragged to me about smoking the cigarette on top of her head. They also find a jacket in Kelly's room and like the sleeves up to the elbows and all over are just covered in gorge water when they test it. Like it matches the water from the gorge. Yeah. And she is finally convicted for second degree murder and she gets life with no parole for five years. Here's the thing. The judge seemed to have kind of fallen in love with her during the first trial because she... (laughs) Yeah, she came in, she acted very like quiet, like nice little schoolgirl. People say that she kind of spoke with like a slight British accent, which is like super fucking weird. So she's trying to like make herself seem all prim and proper. Yeah, pretty much. And it works. The judge is like, she's an intelligent young woman. She talks about how apparently Kelly likes animals. She's like, oh, like her family's so nice. Look at them. It's bonkers. So the first trial eventually gets overturned. The Supreme Court of Canada rules that she'd been improperly questioned because apparently they like just kept asking her kind of the same question over and over again. In the second trial, the lawyer, her name is Catherine Murray. And in some of the things I read, apparently her nickname is California Kathy. <laughs> and she's just described as like this gorgeous woman, but she goes in and she's relentless against Kelly. She is just pressuring her and pressuring her, not backing down, not letting this girl kind of pull the wool over her eyes. And Kelly finally shows her true colors. She starts speaking super sarcastically. She's rolling her eyes. She's snapping. And people are finally starting to see who Kelly really is. At one point, she actually like gets so mad about it that she just stands up and like yells about being innocent says she doesn't care about the jail time she'll serve it because she knows she's innocent like just a whole bunch of bull okay but what if she actually is innocent that would be unfortunate devil's advocate here playing devil's advocate that would be unfortunate there's too much evidence against her that's actually really true to like she did it you know yeah whether or not warren was more involved because the thing is warren is the only other narrator for that yeah for how rena actually died yeah because kelly's never said anything you know it's i feel like it's like with most crime cases especially when the victim is murdered i mean how can you ever really get the full story you can't see it through their eyes right yeah you just have to piece together what's left what stories are being told what the evidence shows i oh i don't know if i've mentioned this a little bit before the murder Kelly's mother heard Kelly on the phone with Josephine and they were talking about how they were going to kill a girl and like dig a hole for her and bury her and she was going to be fucking dead but she just kind of brushed it off because she was like oh this is how they normally talk talk. it's all just talk they always do this which is insane therapy yeah I don't think I do that yeah no no so after her conviction is overturned she's freed on bail on house arrest But when the new trial is ordered in 2004, her house arrest is lifted for some reason and she ends up moving to Vancouver. Don't really know why. Part of her conditions of her bail is that she does not drink or do drugs. That is like a big part of it. Yeah, understandable. Year after she's released on bail, it's revoked. After she beats a 58-year-old woman, some say over a cell phone, while drinking a beer in a park. It's like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So after the second trial... A mistrial is declared because the jurors are deadlocked. It's 11 to 1. So a third trial, of course, is called for. And it's the same prosecutor, Catherine Murray. Kind of the same thing happens and she's found guilty. They tried to take movement to like have a uh, fourth trial, but the Supreme Court is finally like, 
enough is enough. Further appeals are denied. And as of 2022, Kelly is denied full parole, but at this point she has received daytime parole. She also, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the time when she was in jail. Mm -hmm. For the first bit, clearly she was just a like uh whatever the opposite of a model prisoner is she bad prisoner a bad prisoner she admits to a year-long addiction to contraband crystal meth reports say that she had a collection of toothbrushes in her room that were oh. found when she's 30 years old she finally gets a job working at the library in the prison mm -hmm. she begins a pen pal relationship with this like ex-convict guy who's like involved in gangs and stuff and during a conjugal visit she gets preggers oh she gets pregnant and the world finds out when she's eight months pregnant because she goes to a parole hearing and is like she wants to be released to go to medical appointments with her baby which they grant her. She ends up moving into a prison where mothers can live with their children. At some point, she has another child with this man. Mm -hmm. But because of some like domestic violence incidents, they are not allowed to be together. And he can only visit the children like supervised. Okay. But yeah, that is the story of Rena Virk. Her parents, well, unfortunately, her mother passed away a few years ago. It was a very unfortunate incident that took place in a Victoria restaurant. She choked to death. No, do we know which restaurant? That's actually a really good question. So in 2018, her name is Suman Virk. She's 58 years old and she dies of choking in a victoria cafe i can't find the name it's just saying in a victoria cafe okay but up until then rena's parents were very involved in the anti-bullying movement and i think left like a, a i mean they're what inspired our anti-bullying days you know yeah. like the pink shirt day and everything but that is the story of rena Ver. i think it's an important one yeah it you know happened really close to home yeah and it's kind of crazy to think about how you know how far people go how for... far people go and also because like you know we grew up in victoria we were teenage girls in victoria and just yeah. like that lifestyle especially when i was that age i just i can't imagine you know yeah Thank you guys Thank for, you for listening. listening. Yeah. Remember to subscribe, you know, turn on those notifications if you want to rate us, you know, listen to more episodes, get notified when we post. Oh, we now have an Instagram, a TikTok page. I it's our podcast is on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, if you're listening to this on Spotify, you probably don't need to listen to it on iTunes, but I, you can if you want to. If you really want to show the support, yeah, <laughs> you don't need to though. Just, That's just, okay. You can always just like mute it and then yeah. just let it play. And Spotify, there's a button that you, you can press played. And if you yeah. press that button, it tells us that more people have played our episode just, instead of just like leaving halfway through, like you've probably already done. <laughs> just just mark mark just played just mark just played. played even if you like don't like the episode just mark just played pretty Give please us, yeah we'll but, love you forever yeah you can find our socials linked i think in the instagram no i think i think they might be linked in the spotify if not we're on instagram it's literally hey we should start a podcast super easy yeah easy peasy uh we also if you in the link in the bio of instagram the link tree the link tree we have released a special slug reproduction episode just for you guys. We just got, for you. We got so much feedback about saying, like, we need this episode. Like, it's really cool. Go listen. I It's a really great episode, honestly. Really, I had a great time. It is absolutely fascinating how slugs reproduce. It's <laughs> crazy. I it loved it. Crazy. It was a good time. But at the end of the day, thank you guys for showing support and listening. We love each and every one of you.
Yeah, and stay tuned. We've got another episode coming out, and it's going to be about Shrek lore. Is it? No. Oh. <laughs> Damn it.